Amen. Okay. Good morning. All right. How's everybody doing today? Very good. Okay. So there was like four greats and some guttural noises. I'm going to let that slide today. I'm going to let that slide today. We're going to move forward. Um, hey, what we're going to do right now, uh, people that are listening that may not know me later on, my name is Josh. I serve as lead pastor here at Refuge. We're going to go into our time in the Word. And what that means, I think we all know, but just in case you need a little refresher, is that we're going to open the Bible. We're going to read words in the Bible. And as we read these words in the Bible, we're going to anticipate or invite the Spirit of God to touch our hearts in some way, to change our attitudes, our beliefs, um, change our heart, to change our actions. And we believe he does that through reading these words and exploring them together, that the Spirit of God actually meets us here. And while we're talking about this together and thinking about it, he actually does something. And so that's what we're going to do right now. That's why we take this seriously. So I want to encourage you don't check out, but rather actually kind of anticipate, right? Lean in and kind of be like, God, what do you want to do? What do you do in my life right now? So yeah, today that's what we're going we're gonna to get to right now. Before we get into that, I want to uh, I want to say thank you for something. The people, uh, few of you have heard this story already. You're probably going to hear it a few more times. Um, I, I just listening to uh, us talk about the Impact Now stuff. I want to give one, a shout out to those of you that served at Impact Now on Saturday. Can you give them a round of applause or give yourself a round of applause? If you were there. Uh, Impact Now is incredible. And they serve, I mean, probably between 130 to 150 families per week. And so we got to be a part of that and we'll get to be a part of it again next month and Lord willing the month after that. And so there will be several opportunities to get involved in that uh, if you were not able to get involved in it this week. And Excuse me, a little too much coffee uh, this morning. So I'm gonna, that, that mic's gonna come away from my face a few times today, to be honest with you. Um, it, it is an incredible opportunity and I'm so excited and so glad uh, that we get to be a part of it and, and we, we got to be a part of it. I think that's what I was at. Uh, just, just the opportunity to serve and to love people in a way that reflects like the heart and compassion of Jesus for the world around him and therefore our heart and compassion of people uh, in, in the world around us. And uh, that actually made me think about uh, wanting to say thank you for something else as well. And so uh, obviously saying thank you for this past Saturday is great, but there's a collection of, of actions that our church has taken uh, that has actually been really encouraging, not just to me, but to others outside of our church. This past week, I was on the phone with a buddy of mine, uh, and he's another pastor, and he was in a, a meeting with the chief of police uh, with several other pastors. I think it was maybe like eight pastors total from across the city, and they were talking about uh, the DPS distribution in town. And a lot of you guys have probably heard that the, you know, the state of Texas distributed a lot of officers across the city to kind of combat some of the policing challenges that Austin has had uh, over the past few months. And so that has been, some, there's been some really good things to that. There's been some really challenging things to that. And the police chief was trying to interact with these pastors, let them know a bit about what was going on there. And while he said there was some really good things, he said that some of the challenges uh, where obviously that, that they don't have control over that, right? There's some, there's some real challenges not having oversight of those things. But he also said some of the advantages were found in the fact that some of the communities that they were dispersed to were some of the rougher communities in town, some of the communities that needed a, a better police presence in order to serve that community well. And of course, uh, one of those communities that he talked about was this community, Dove Springs, the 4-4, uh, if, you, if you like that link. Okay, don't, I've, don't throw up two fingers. I don't know how that works, but... Um, <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that as they were talking, they, they said, you know, one of the, the reasons it's so important is because of the lack of resources often found in these types of communities. And they said, you know, as pastors, or the police chief said, as pastors, one of the most encouraging things, if I could share a story with y'all, is like 
some of the resources are absent for some of the communities, but are really present in one. For example, is that in Dove Springs, uh, one of the administrators for the school recently told me that one of the best things that's happened there is a church that came in town a few uh, a while back. And uh, my friend kind of his ears perked up was like, church that. Uh, and then he continued to say, yeah, they, they have been serving the community really well. They love people really well. They get out there. They, they canceled church. They just went to go serve people and help people a while back. And just really, really great. And, of course, uh, because my friend was in there, he was like, hey, you know what church that is? Uh, and he was like, I don't know. They meet in an elementary school uh, in Dove Springs somewhere. And he was like, okay, you know the name of it? And, of course, the chief police is like, bro, no. Right? Like, I don't, I'm, this isn't on my radar like that. You know what I mean? Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, because he's my homeboy, he, he kept pressing. He was like, does it start with an R? And he was like, maybe. And like, is it refuge? And he was like, yeah, that's And who knows? Maybe he was just like, dude, yes, I don't care anymore, right? But, uh, but he inevitably kind of said, yeah, that's the one. Uh, and my, my friend got really excited. He ended up reaching out to the administrator to say, hey, can you tell me more about what this church has meant for you? Uh, and they, continu they continued on uh, to just say, man, this place has been a blessing. They've blessed the school that they're a part of. Uh, they've blessed the community around them. They have been really like one of the few things that we've prayed for, that we've hoped for, that would be a part of our community. And, and now it feels like they're an answer to, to those hopes and those prayers. That there would be a group of people that meet in this community, that have a heart for this community, are willing to sacrifice and love the people in this community. Uh, and my, my boy was, he was like, man, bro, right? he, he made me laugh a few times. He was like, man, we've been around for like 10 years, bro. I ain't never had nobody say that about us. And then he proceeded to kind of say, man, they really did make it sound like y'all making a huge difference, bro. It wasn't that you were making it sound like that. I would say that the times I've talked to you, they made it sound like you undersell what y'all do. Because she put it in a context that was really powerful and really meaningful. And I wanted to simply say thank you to y'all. None of that's possible without y'all. Y'all do that. Right? Yesterday at Impact Now, I was at my daughter's soccer game. So, I mean, like, literally y'all was the one doing that. Right, us as a community of people, and I was watching or listening, I should say, to the words on this screen. I guess I was watching those too. Uh, just a second, the, the, the love of God and, and what that means. And it just made me think like, man, those are the type of reports that only come from people that are being shaped by God's love for them. And then they're therefore turning around and going, I wanna pour out a bit of what, whatever is going on in here. I would lay down some of my convenience, lay down some of my comforts for the sake of serving others, loving others, and, and stewarding the world around me well. And I just see that in each and every one of you so much. And I want to say thank you. I love you. I'm grateful for you. I'm trying hard not to cry because I got to get through 25 more minutes of this. And I don't, I don't, if I start there, it's going to be 40. So, um, yeah, I love y'all. And I'm grateful for you. And I want you to look around and just be grateful for each other as well. And recognize the beautiful things that God does in a community of people that just says, hey, we'll pick up our cross, as the Bible says, and we'll bear it. We'll, we'll follow him. And that means there'll be challenges and there will be this inconveniences and there will be some, some, some you know, running against, running uphill at times. And yet, in, in, in all those moments, right, it, it's worth it when we're able to look and see that people are actually blessed by that. That God is faithful to not just be like, oh yeah, I'll keep giving you strength and endurance. Uh, but to say, man, I'll, I'll use the fruit of your labor. I'll use the, the, yeah, the fruit of your labor to bless those around you. And I just want to say thank you. Now, I've taken too much time for this already, but thank you. Give yourself a round of applause again. All right, that's, oh, come on now. Okay, so with that, uh, we're going to continue in Romans uh, 12 and 13 this week. And uh, this is called, we're calling it flashback, but it's really just we're looking back on the work of Jesus, right? And we're thinking about what it means 
uh, for his work and how it impacted us. Last week, uh, we thought about what Jesus' death and resurrection means uh, for, for following him, right? How does it move us toward that idea? What is it, how does it impact that? This week, we're asking a bit of a different question. Uh, how does Jesus' death and resurrection impact how we love each other, right? How does it impact how we love each other? That's not going to be up there. So if you're a note taker, take it down based on what I'm saying. Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into Romans 12, 9 through 10 uh, to, to kind of dive into this idea a bit and see how this text provides us some answers to that question. You're also going to see me gravitating over toward these notes a bit because I took a lot of stuff off. I left a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor. And what I put in, I did feel like I put in quite a bit of what's going on in this text, and I want to make sure that I respect your time, so I'm going to stick pretty close to this, this iPad over here on this part of the stage. So um, if you would, we're going to go ahead and read the, the, the verse on the screen together today. And so I know it's a little bit different. We have someone come up here and read it, and then they pray for the sermon, but I want us to read it together. Historically, church leaders have done this a lot, even before predating the Christian church, but even in the Jewish tradition, there was this idea of, of reading the scriptures together and allowing them to kind of wash over us and, and feed our mind and set our attention. And so I want us to do that again today, uh, kind of honor that tradition and read it together. And so it's going to be on the screen, Romans 12, 9 through 10. And if you would read it along with me, I'm going I'm to have the, the mic up close to my mouth so that I can kind of set the tempo, that way we're not all going at our same pace. But if you would follow along with me, let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead, honoring one another. So here's the thing. In this text, Paul starts this section off the back of another section through uh, whatever that is, verses 3 through 8, right? So yeah, last week, we really just tackled 1 through 2. And this week, we're kind of skipping over 3 through 8, not because it's not important, but because it kind of builds on the ideas that we're going to approach here in this text. Uh, in, that, in those few verses, Paul basically says, hey, everyone has gifts, and everyone's meant to use them. And then he gets really narrow with this idea, and he's like, some people are meant to teach them, teach faithfully. Some people are meant to lead, lead diligently. Some people are meant to be generous, give generously, right? Like, like, man, put those gifts into action within the body of the church, and it will function well. We're like many parts of a body coming together and bringing together a healthy body. Now, here's the thing. That, that's kind of narrow, and those of us that may not feel like we're generous or able to be as generous as other people may feel that and be like, okay, well, that doesn't apply to me. Some of us may feel like, okay, well, I'm not a teacher, and so that doesn't really apply to me specifically, or, or maybe I'm not leading something specific in church or wherever the case is, community or wherever the thing is, and, and uh, maybe that doesn't necessarily apply to me. But then in verse 9, he turns the corner and, and starts to provide some instruction that's much broader than just the narrow instruction of the previous verses. In verse 9, he starts out with this instruction going to everybody, saying, let love be without hypocrisy, detest what is evil, and love what is good. And this strikes at two really powerful points, right? One is this is what it looks like to accomplish verse 2 that we talked about last week. This, this is going hand in hand with that, right? Verse 2 from last week says, you remember, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. This renewing of the mind is really a, a part and parcel, right? Left hand, right hand, two sides of the same coin of what's happening at the end of this verse, that we would learn to love what's good, cling to what's good, and detest or hate what's evil. Now, you might be asking, how in the world do I just start loving what's good and hating what's evil? A lot of us have been Christians for a while. We've been following Jesus for a minute, 
and you're looking at me being like, that's challenging, bro, because there are times that I definitely still, I may not love what's evil, but I'll be flirting with it sometimes. And then, and then there are times when, when I want to love what's good, but it just doesn't stir me. I'm not, I'm not just like overwhelmed with feelings of I want to, I just love the things that are good. Like, in fact, I'm jealous of those people the few times that I've met them because I haven't met very many of them. And this is what's powerful, I think, about this verse, is that this word love is powerful. The connotation of it isn't a feeling, but it's like a commitment. The literal translation is to cling to or to join oneself to something. And so this means that while we, are, uh, while we, we, we hope that we can develop a love or affection for the feelings of righteousness, the vision that Paul has is to hate, to truly detest, to really be like, man, I, I really despise your, your presence in other people's lives, in my life, those things that are evil. But in contrast, not to say, instead, my heart is flurrying, flurrying with butterflies for the things that are good, but instead to go and say, this is what's good. I know that this is good, and I'm going to hold on to it the best that I can. Right? That's the vision of what's happening here. And that should be encouraging to us, friends, because, because while I know that it's hard to, to just, just say I'm like a saint, I love what's good, this isn't telling you that you have to have some perfect emotional condition. It's saying that when you see evil, turn away from it. And whatever is good, whatever is beautiful, whatever, whatever rings true to be, be the will of God, see that and hold on to it for dear life. It takes a commitment. It takes intention. It's a lot like, you know, a workout plan or eating right. We all know what that's like. The fried chicken, right, the sweets, them, them bad boys be tempting sometimes. They got there looking good. And the thing is, in every one of those options where I'm looking at the fried dish, you know, you go to like a Texas fair and it's like, hey, we're going to put ice cream in a deep fryer. And it's like, I don't even know how you do that. How does that not melt? And they're like, I don't know, but here. And they're just like, they want you to just consume it, right? While that is available to us in every one of those options, maybe not the Texas fair, but in most options, right, in most cases, there is another healthier option that we have to intentionally go to, commit to, cling to and say, this is going to be my choice today. I know that all of these things are available to me. I know they're present. I know they're here. But my intention is to turn away from them, to detest them, to say, no, man, that's not good. And then to cling for dear life while that fried, while that fried ice cream is calling my name, right? To cling to dear life to a salad, right? Like that. But to cling to dear life to what's good. This is a vision that Paul has, right, of renewing our mind, of hating what's evil and loving what's good. Uh, that in, in our, our vision for loving people, we would look at people and say, no, 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 I, I know that I may have my own desires, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn from what's bad. I'm going to cling to what's good. And even when it's hurtful, even when it's like, oh, I really don't want to do this, I'm going to turn to those that I care about, turn to those that are around me, and love them well, do the right thing. Right? That's what it looks like to love people. Make a commitment to do the right thing. Even when you're upset, even when you're in your feelings, even when you're like, that person doesn't deserve this. That person is, ugh, they've done me wrong. They're this kind of person, that kind of person to say, but, but I'm gonna commit to what's right. I'm gonna commit to what's good. And I'm gonna serve them and love them according to what I know is good. I'm gonna turn from what's evil. Now, you might be thinking, well, doesn't that contradict the first part? Because the first part isn't detest what's evil and love what's good or cling to what's good, but the first part is let love be without hypocrisy and we'll know. It doesn't contradict it. And, and the reason for that uh, brings up a really important subject, and that is the question of what love is. What is love? So many of us think love is that butterfly, happy feeling, 
uh, that we feel when we have some sort of emotional connection with somebody. And whether we know it or not, this idea in our mind sets up a very transactional relationship with someone else. You may not realize it, but it does. Because when we define love as some sort of happy feeling, some sort of joyful feeling, some sort of good butterfly-filled feeling, what we end up doing is going to those that we love and say, as long as you can make me feel like this, then I'll keep giving you my commitment of service and kindness. But the moment you don't make me feel like this anymore, then I'm not going to what I've committed to serving and sacrificing for you. Right? When love is defined as this feeling of happiness, this feeling of joy, it sets up an extraordinarily transactional relationship with someone, especially with God. And it's kind of like no wonder that divorce rates are high, right? Because if you go in thinking like, oh, love is when you make me feel happy. And half of us don't realize like you're not going to feel that way forever. Shoot, you may not feel that way for long. <laughs> like you may get to like the sixth month and be like, ah, you are really messy, and it's really frustrating me. Like, that's what my wife would have said to me. Your boy, but your boy did, did and you, you, I gotta admit, like in relationships, you do gotta change and stuff. I was in there doing dishes last night. So I mean, like you do change and all that good stuff, but, but man, that type of feeling can go away like that. And if that's how we define love, then we can assume that love is absent the moment the feeling is absent. When really the way Paul sees it is that it is a, a commitment that as a commitment to serve one another, genuine love, right, making that commitment and knowing I'm going to sacrifice for you either way, no matter what, right, that's what genuine love looks like, love that is without hypocrisy. It's the type of love that commits to serving another person, to loving another person, to sacrificing for another person. Whether we, we feel it or whether we don't, it's a commitment to do those things. And the thing is, from there, that means that we end up turning away from what we think is right and what's wrong. Again, this is a continuation of that idea of saying, hey, I'm going to make myself the judge of what's right, self the judge of what's wrong, and therefore when someone hurts me, when someone is annoying, when someone doesn't do what I like, when someone isn't up to my standards, when someone kind of just frustrates me with their, with their actions, I'm going to take the place of what's right, I'm going to take the place of the judge of what's right, then I'm going to enact my sense of justice, my sense of what's right, my sense of what's wrong. And so if you don't clean the dishes, I'm not going to clean the dishes. If you don't uh, say you're willing to take me to the airport, the next time you need help moving or need to go to the airport, I'm going to be like, I'm busy. It's 5 in the morning. What are you doing? I'm busy. <clears throat> See, when we have this idea of I'm going to turn from what's evil, it's not just saying what's wrong. It's continuing from what Romans has been building up for us the whole time. I'm going to turn away from what I think is right and what's wrong. So many of us feel the experience of, of kind of conflict with somebody, and we automatically go to defining justice by what I think is right and what's wrong. And so we enact vengeance based on what I think is right and what's wrong, justice based on what I think is right and what's wrong. And Paul is saying each one of those emotions, I want you to submit them to what's good and what's godly and respond, cling for dear life to what's good and what's godly and produce that in your relationship. That's what genuine love looks like. Not going on how you feel, not going on how, what you think is good, but according to God's vision for loving one another. Now, um, the best example that I could come up with in, in my mind for this is a, a friend of mine named Dan in college. Some of you guys know about Dan. You've heard this story before. Others of you have no idea who I'm talking about, so get ready. No, the story's not that good. But um, Dan was a friend of mine, and I can't call him a good friend, but I can call him a friend. And we had a really powerful season in college 
And even after that powerful season, I can't really call him a good close friend, but I would call him a friend. You see, during the season in college, me and Rachel went through a lot of hard times. We had broken up, and a lot of it was due to just my own maturity on several different fronts. And the thing was, I call him a friend and not a good friend because me and Dan weren't necessarily like super close. It wasn't like he was looking at me going like, man, bro, I'm hearing all of what's going on because you're telling me and, and Rachel's telling me and, oh, man, I'm filled with compassion for you. He was not quite an acquaintance, but he was a, a, just a friend. But Dan saw what was going on in my life. He saw the shambles of my life. And he said, hey, man, let's start getting together. And so we started getting together. We'd go to the gym together. We'd sit in his backyard and have a beer together, oftentimes on the same nights. And not everything went right in those situations. There were times I walked out of Dan's house going, bro, what was that man talking about tonight? And there were times I walked out and thought, man, that was one of the most life-changing nights of my life. And I grew so much during that season because of Dan saying, hey, man, genuine love is no matter what I think of you, no matter how I feel about you sometimes, the right thing to do is to see your light and to serve you, to make time in my life to have you come and be with me and us walk through this. And I grew from that. I grew a lot from that. And when that time was done, me and I was like, I appreciate you, Dan. He was like, yes, sir. And then we proceeded to go back to talking to each other like once every six months. Maybe less than that now. That was genuine love. That was the Bible's vision of genuine love. It didn't take someone that had all the butterfly feelings toward me. It didn't even take someone that liked me. It didn't take someone that I necessarily liked. It took one brother, one sister, looking at another brother, another sister, and going, what's right is for me to love you like this. So I'm going to detest what's evil. I'm going to turn from my own vision of what's right, my own vision of what's wrong, and I'm going to serve you the way God would serve you. And that changed my life. That changed my life. That brother changed my life. You're just being obedient to God, loving me the way the scriptures were calling him to love me, the way God was calling him to love me, not what he thought in the most convenient form, what he thought was even right. That's what, that's what Paul has a vision for here. Now, why did Dan do this? Was it because he just wanted to follow Jesus? Well, yeah, he wanted to follow Jesus. It was also because he was already following Jesus. Meaning, because he was following Jesus, he knew that I was more than just this guy at his church. I was more than just this dude that was around his house every once in a while, that was part of his small group. Sometimes did things that annoyed him, and other times he laughed at. Like, it was, I'm telling you, the relational dynamics were weird. I'm not exaggerating that. I'm sure if Dan was gonna watch this later, he'd be like, no, that's all true. Like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't argue the point. So why did he do it? It's because he looked at me and said, that guy is more than that. He's my brother. He's my brother. And I think that's the vision that Paul also has when it comes to how we love one another. If you take a look at verse 10, right? Romans 12, 10 says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. This verse is actually really tricky to interpret because it's really tricky to translate. Uh, right? There are two words in here that are really, really, really important. I'm going to butcher these, by the way. Uh, the first one is folostrogos. I might have done that one okay. 
and then Philadelphia is how the computer says it. Philadelphia, all right? Um, and one, uh, philostrogos is an adjective that means to be devoted to something, right? Philadelphia is a noun that means brotherly love, and together they make up that first sentence. To devote yourself, in a super literal way to, to translate it, would be to devote yourself to brotherly love. And so we translate it to love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. And it's probably really helpful. But the translation itself is, is, is while it's pretty good, um, we still kind of miss the weight of what's going on here in this passage because of just the nature of English and trying to translate it from another language. You see these two words, uh, Philostrogos, Philadelphia, right, were almost exclusively used within the family context, right? Most scholars and researchers that I looked up said that prior to the Christian faith, this, these two words were almost never used in relation uh, as like a metaphor to someone else. They were almost exclusively only used within the context of a family unit. And, and it's, it's really, really important because that, that should, it's not like the word love for us, right? The word love for us can mean so many things, right? I love y'all. I love my wife. I love my kids. Y'all know what I mean, that I mean I love y'all differently, but it's all love. In this world and in this language, that wasn't the context, right? That wasn't the way. There were certain words used to express how you love family, other words used in how you loved a brother, other words used in how you love God, and this was, these were words that were used exclusively for the family unit. It was never used outside of that. It was never used for close friends. It was never used for people at the temple. It was never used for the guy at the corner store. These people were walking around going, hey, what's up, bro? What's up, fam? It wasn't like that. That's not the world they lived in. That's not the language that they used. This meant you were my blood. Your flesh of my flesh, your bone of my bone. You can never leave me. You leave me, you will still be left with the mark of the fact that you're related to me. You probably look like me. You share the culture that I have. You share the world that we grew up in. You have childhood experiences the way I have childhood experiences. You were shaped and formed by the same traumatic events. You were shaped and formed by the same celebratory events. You were mine and I'm yours. There's no way you can ever overcome that. No way you can throw it away. And here, Paul says, commit yourself to brotherly, sisterly love for one another. Commit yourself to seeing each other and going, you're mine, and I'm yours. There's no way we can escape it. There's no way we can escape it. Uh, sorry. The best example uh, of this that I could think of was maybe if you can imagine the most intimate name that your family calls you. It could be a nickname. It could be like a little term of affection. If you're Mexican, this is even hard. Mexicans love nicknames. Something that if you were out in public, you were in line at a restaurant, you were walking down Congress, you were walking to Target, you were sitting down at a coffee shop and you heard someone blurt out this language, this word, this name, you would instantaneously think, someone in my family is here. You would start looking for them because it's the type of language that only your family could possibly know. Only your family would, would possibly use. No one else in your world uses you. No one else in your life could even know you like that. They don't, they're not shaped by the same things. They, don't, they weren't there when you were six and more like 
one of my family's older than me is Chivo. My own uncle right there. They probably were part of coining the term. Um, none of them were there when I was three months old, and I was like, eh. And they were like, that guy sounds like a Chivo. Chivo means goat. They were like, that guy sounds like a Chivo. No one was there except them. They have an intimacy with that word, that idea, and seeing little fat baby Josh be like, eh. And they know that's my nephew, that's my son, that's my cousin. That's the type of intimacy Paul's talking about here. Devote yourself, commit yourself. Devote yourself the way you would be devoted to family. Right? Devote yourself like that to people that are now your brothers and your sisters. That's the vision of love that Paul has for this group of people. That's the vision of love God has for this group of people. Right? That we would turn from evil, we would turn from even what we think is good, what we think is right, what we think is wrong, what we think is bad. Look at the church community around us and go, these are mine. These people are mine. I can never be taken away from. We bear the same father. The mark of our father is what defines us, and we can never escape what this community means to us. We may get into disagreements like I do with family. We may get into arguments like I do with family, but these people are who is going to shape me. These are the people that know what it's like to be in death, to be in sin, to be in darkness, and then to engage this redeemer and to see our lives shaped and changed and transformed. And now those are the marks, those are the experiences that I unite uh, myself too, with others that have shared those experiences. This is my family. But that's what Paul's saying. And he, he's using intimate language to try and get us to see it. I got to be honest. I was, for me, I'm not going to lie. I, I, um, I really, really relate to this. I grew up an only child, which is rare because I'm Mexican. And I had cousins that I was very close to, most specifically my cousin Jonathan. But I didn't have any blood siblings. While most of my other cousins did have blood siblings, as an only child, it did get lonely sometimes. I would wish I had brothers. I would wish I had sisters. And when I came to faith, they started, you know, the people that I was around started telling me what it meant to be a part of a gospel community. These people are not just who you go to church with, or not just who you sing songs with. Because of what Jesus has done, these people are now your brothers and your sisters. According to Jesus, they're more your brothers and your sisters than even your actual brothers and sisters are. And I gotta admit, I took to that like an oasis and a man dying of I ran to it and I gulfed it. And I still have not, I think, stopped with that. I love y'all. God, I cannot communicate how much I love y'all. Because to me, this is, this is where it starts and this is where it ends. You are my brother and my sister. You are my uncles and my aunts, my fathers and my mothers my sons and my daughters, my nieces and my, you were it. And that's kind of why the small group that I lead kind of looks like that. Like we be spending about 30 minutes talking about the Bible every week. And some people get there at seven, be leaving at two in the morning. Looking at you, Josh. Um, <laughs> and 
And you're talking about 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2. And you would think because we're in church, it must mean that we are in there talking about the Bible from 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2. When in reality, we're probably talking about the Bible like that much. And then from there, we're praying that much. And then it leaves all of these with how much time we're just together. It's because those are my brothers and my sisters. I wouldn't go to a family gathering and be like, hey, guys, let's just spend all this time talking about the Bible. Or let's just open like a, let's open a family photo album and just keep talking about the story of how our family got together. Let's talk about the values of our family and what those, those conversations happen. Of course they do. They happen naturally. But when you go to, when you go be with your family, you kind of just go and think like, I'm just ready to be with y'all. I want to hang out with y'all. I want to laugh. I want to share stories. I want to reminisce about things. I want to make new stories that we're going to reminisce about in the future. That's what Paul sees here. That's what Paul here. These people, different backgrounds, experiences that have different hair color, different hair texture, different, different color skin, different languages at times. There's some first languages, some second languages, all the stuff that Paul looks and says, I want you to be here. Coach yourself. Brotherly love to them. That's his vision for you and me. We would form like that. Help us love one another. Help us be loved by each other. And to fight for those things. Those things don't happen by, by just sheer nature. They, they do take investment. They take trying. They take a, they take a lot of that, right? They, there is some, there's investment that has to be made, but, but that's his vision for us. He wants us to be rallied around this idea and this vision together. And maybe you're like, how is this group of people now my family? How? Friend, because honestly, and I'm not trying to Jesus juke the entire sermon, but it, it is because of Jesus. Like, it truly is. I got to be honest with y'all. I'm going to say one thing about you, then I'm going to take it to another level. There's some of y'all I wouldn't probably be friends with, and you would be friends with me if it wasn't for this room and this God and this idea. I wouldn't be married to my wife right now if it wasn't for this God and this idea. Me and my wife talked about a lot of times that the cultural world we come from would have left us looking at each other and being like, bruh, no. Man, but, but this is powerful. Because of Jesus, because when we were spiritual orphans, the Son of God came and entered into the story and gave himself up like an orphan so that the orphans could be made family. Right? It's because when the Son of God right, looked at the whores of the cross, the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and maybe even felt the temptation, you know, you can turn from this. He committed to what was right, committed to serving and loving and caring, and therefore gave himself in a way that, that redeemed and saved people. And in his resurrection, he dis displays and declares the beauty to overcome every single dividing line we can put between ourselves, every single hierarchy we can put between ourselves, and now invites us into a family of people that 
that sacrifice, that turn from what we view as right and what's wrong, that serve each other according to the vision of Jesus' love for one another and makes us into a family of, of believers through his work on the cross, right? That's what's happening here. Incredible, incredible news. And now he stands at the door of our hearts consistently, inviting us into relationships with other believers. In this church and outside of this church, I'm not going to say like, oh, this church, you know, this is what happens. But with other believers, um, to foster this idea of love and community. The question today is how many of us and how often are we answering that invitation? I think that's the main question. Today, I am, I'm praying that we accept that invitation, that we see what it means to renew our minds by turning away from what's evil and clinging, holding on for dear life to what's good, to serve and love one another in ways that reveal the truth of how we are in terms of the family that we are. Now, I want to pray uh, for that, but before we pray, I do have three application points, because, uh, you know, every... Every sermon needs some application points. And the first one is this, that um, I want to encourage you to check your heart. I want to encourage you to check your heart. If there's themes of vengeance, if there's themes of anger, if there's themes of resentment, um, I, I want to encourage you to see the warning of a text like this that's saying turn and detest what's evil. I understand that there are moments where People have done you wrong. People have hurt you. I'm not saying that those things are okay, but rather the idea of saying, hey, what's, what's just and what's good is to make them pay the price for that thing, right? To, to enact judgment or justice in the form of vengeance from our own hand, what we do to someone. Maybe that's making someone feel lonely. Maybe that's making someone feel hurt. Maybe that's kind of trying to make someone feel bad or, or hurt them in some way, right? If there's anything like that, and I want to encourage you to look at this and, and follow the scriptures and detest and turn from what's evil. Hate it. Cling to what's good. Um, the other thing is to check your commitment. All right, just check your commitment. Um, if there's things you find yourself consistently placing in front of a commitment to the idea of like Christian community, like I said, here or even outside of the church, I, I want to encourage you to like, and just consider your priorities. I'm not, I'm not telling you those things are bad because the majority of them aren't. Like, they're not. Most are like, I mean, I had a soccer game, my daughter's soccer game this Saturday. And so I wasn't out there with y'all at Impact Now. Y'all sending pictures and making your boy mad jealous. But I, I still, I, I, that's not a bad thing. But when every new thing that comes in my life gets slotted above the idea of Christian community, right, that's where my priorities are. Right? Not that, that there's other things going on in my life, but every new thing that enters, I can slot in above this idea of being with my brothers and sisters. Then we have to check our commitment. Um, and the last one is make a commitment. Make a commitment to a church community, to, to relationships, and, and start building uh, those, those familial connections with other people. Um, we just announced we have a membership class. I think that's a great step in that direction, right, where we say, hey, this is going to be the community of people that I live out my Christian walk with most explicitly. That doesn't mean it's exclusive to here. Uh, I talk to probably two guys every week. Just call, connect with them, share my life with them. They're dudes that I knew in college, right? Um, 
that's going to happen. Everyone has those places, right? But but uh, a community of people that you're living out your Christian life with most explicitly uh, and consistently, um, right? That type of commitment, that's powerful. And so with that, uh, I want to go ahead and pray uh, and close this up uh, and praying that, that the Lord would just, uh, he would help us grow in love and care for one another in that family way. And that uh, we would make that commitment through the power of death and resurrection. Uh, to walk out that, that sense of family here together with other believers. So join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your death and resurrection that takes orphans and makes them a family and a community of believers. That while we were spiritually far away from you, um, you committed yourself to your redeeming acts of love and affection, redeeming acts of care and compassion to bring uh, together to you what you described as your inheritance, family of people that are redeemed by your love and by your sacrifice. And so, Father, thank you. Help us, Father, to live out that truth. Uh, help us to navigate where those things are challenging for us. Help us to, I mean, check our hearts, check our commitments, and help us to make a commitment uh, to you and following you and, and living out this idea of genuine love that turns and, and detests evil and clings to what is good and that commits to a brotherly love and affection toward one another. Love you, thank you. Amen.